you um, step back a minute and look at this chapter two of Hebrew, <laughs> Philippians, you'll find some nuggets that you might have skipped over when you have read this before because you're so familiar with this passage. Now, I don't know whether any of you who um, are here in class in person um, at 18200 Street, Norcross, Georgia, if you want to visit us, uh, if anybody brought a rope, anybody bring a rope with you? Okay. Um, I, just, I need somebody to put it around me and tie me to the stage because I might take off running because this is just so rich uh, and powerful that I'm, I'm going to try my best to keep myself calm. But if I take off running, just trip me and we'll come back and finish the lesson. The writer is Paul, uh, as we know, uh, his the first church he established on the European continent uh, at Philippi, a very thriving metropolitan church and area with people who are uh, both of Greek mind and Roman mind and Jewish mind, uh, but mostly Greek mind. They've been Gentiles their whole time. So Paul has quite a challenge teaching them about Christ and then getting them to live a Christ-like life. But it is a church and it's full of people. And so uh, when you have people in church, things happen. So you'll see uh, when we get to our background this morning why Paul writes this uh, that he writes in chapter 2, but it does have to do with their interaction among each other. Uh, let's pray. Uh, invite the Holy Spirit to uh, teach us as we teach you, and then you can go out and teach somebody else. Amen? Amen. Spirit of the living God, thank you so much for this great, fantastic, wonderful day that you've made. We're making a choice right now, despite what's going on in our lives physically, financially, personally. We made a choice right now to rejoice and be glad in this day. We're choosing today to rejoice. We're choosing it despite sickness and disease and poverty in the land. We choose to rejoice because we know that all things are working together for our good because we love you because we're the called according to your purpose. So we set aside, we push aside everything else, and we focus on you, and we thank you. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for how you let our golden moments roll on just a little while longer. We thank you for peace that passes all understanding. We don't know how we go to bed and sleep sometimes at night, but we know it's because of your peace. We don't know how we get up and go the next day, knowing what we're facing, that odds that seem insurmountable, finances that seem like we'll never get our arms around, children who've gone completely out of their minds. We don't know sometimes how we do it, but it's because of your peace and your grace. So we say thank you. Everybody else might have it all together. Everybody else might have it all situated. But God, we are here saying we need your help. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We're dealing with some stuff that's real in our lives. So we pray this morning that you will intervene as you always have and bless us, oh my God. We thank you, God, for this place we call Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church here in Norcross, Georgia, and for our pastor and bishop, William L. Shields, and for the, the life of dedication he's given to this church. We thank you, Father God, for blessing and keeping us as we serve in the church. <clears throat> we thank you, Father God, for those who we've made acquaintances with here who become friends and sometimes even best friends. We thank you. Now, God, we pray for those who are here presently, pr pr present with us, and those online 
who are dealing with spiritual, financial, and personal matters. We pray, God, that you would bless, heal, and deliver them right now in the name of Jesus. And we, God, we call on that right now spirit because we know with you right now may be three weeks from now. But it's always now with you. So we call on you to intervene now, whenever that now manifests itself. But we're calling on you now. God bless them. Heal them. Heal Elder Jackson, God. God bless and heal Sister Sheila Porter, God. God bless and heal Miss Comer, God. God bless and heal others that, whose name we did not call, but they need you, God. And we thank you that you're going to do what you always have done. Be the healer. Be the deliverer. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. Bless now your word as it goes forth. It's already blessed. Help us to take it and use it for the upbuilding of your kingdom. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, um, grab your Bibles and journey over to um, Philippians uh, chapter 2. But let me uh, sort of set the stage. Uh, and, and before we pull back the curtain on what Philippians 2 uh, is tailored to teach us. So, uh, as I said before, Paul established this church uh, in a little small city founded by King Philip of Macedonia. Uh, and this letter was a thank you note to the Philippian church because of Epirotus, who'd come to visit Paul and actually uh, almost lost his life trying to visit Paul to take Paul a gift and gifts from the church at Philippi. Um, uh, but Paul is, is a very personal letter to him. The letter has, as you read it, a very personal feel. Uh, I think we said last week, uh, we didn't, we meant to, uh, where some of us still write thank you notes. I do, in my, my house, so we write thank you notes because, as I said before, people don't have to be nice. And when they are nice, they don't have to be nice to you. And so thank yous are important. So Paul starts off writing this thank you note to this church. And um, as we said in the, in the intro intro, uh, as always sometimes happens when you get a group of people, although they may be like-minded, disputes arise. Uh, somebody said one time, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I guess it is sort of true, that there is no hurt like church hurt. That, that, that you can be hurt on your job. People say little stuff to you and, you know, drink out your coffee mug when you're not supposed to and eat your lunch out of the refrigerator, although it's got your name on it in bold letters and use your pencil and sit in your seat and you're not there for vacation. They move your chair because it's better than theirs. And you get hurt by that, but it's not the same kind of wound when, it's, when there's somebody on the Ursher board with you and y'all fall out. About whatever. Somebody having to park in your spot or God forbid sit in your seat. In the sanctuary where you all, where everybody knows that's where you always sit. Uh, 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 and, and then because they're trying to administer this church uh, uh, some things happen and I, it seems to me from reading between the lines and, and doing some, some research and just know how, knowing how the, the Greek mind thinks Something happened during church administration where somebody said something to somebody who said something to somebody and people got in different camps and began to say, well, I'm on Mother Jackson's side. I like Miss Gracie. She's a woman of integrity. If she says you messed up, I'm with Miss Gracie. 
And you can talk all you want to about it, because Miss Grace told me that you ain't worth a hill of beans. So as far as I'm concerned, you ain't worth a hill of beans. Because Miss Grace said it. Y'all laughing, but y'all know that happens. Not at Hopewell. But at every other church in Atlanta, that kind of stuff happens. Not at Hopewell. So watch this now when you get to verse uh, in chapter 1. Because uh, I'm going to let you know how Paul gets us to chapter 2 because it's important uh, for context. Now watch. Uh, it says here uh, in verse 27, uh, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with the mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Why did Paul have to say that? He had to say that because there had been some conversations that weren't necessarily up to the standard of what we would want to practice in church. Some folk had gotten crossways with each other and were saying some stuff. And then somebody must have said, well, when Paul gets here, I'm going to tell him about your double-breasted mouth, how you talk to me when he's not around, uh, how you talk to me at the, at, the, at the usher meeting and in the choir. I'm going to tell him about that, and, and, and we're going to see what Paul says. And Paul said, well, hold up, y'all. We are an organism. We are dependent, codependent, one on each other. So Paul says, I need you to watch your conversation. I need to watch what you say because it has the effect of hurting people. And you need to understand that we're all in this thing together. Paul goes on to say, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Paul said, in other words, don't be scared about the fact that people are uh, uh, mad at you in the general community because you uh, are Christ believer. The same thing's happening to me. Uh, this, the, the, this perdition uh, is, a, is an evil person. He says, all these people are trying to do is intimidate you and they're trying to get you to act out so that they can say, well, the folk at the church ain't no better than the folk at the club, so I may as well keep going to the club. It's a cop-out, right? It's a cop-out, but people, these are the ones I run into, the people like to use that as a reason not to do what they know is right, okay? Uh, folk at the church get divorced. Yes, we do. Folk at the church say bad words. Yes, we do. Folk at the church lie. Yes, we do. However, we come to the hospital to get fixed. Amen. Right? We might, we might be broken, but we're not trying to stay broken. So, you can criticize us for being human beings, but please understand, we are trying to do better. And we're in an organization whose goal is to make us the best, best we can be until we get home. Now Paul says, so I don't want you all to get in that trap. Paul goes on to say, for unto you, verse 29, chapter 1, is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. He said, now, nah, you know, it's, it's, I, your example is Christ. I like the fact that Paul says, your example isn't me. There's a lot of me-ism in church these days. Uh, and, 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 and if you happen to get the mic or you happen to be on a certain auxiliary people people want you to be like them that's never the goal 
Let me say that in Spanish. It's never the goal that you'll be like a person. Your goal is to be like Christ. People will disappoint you. It's just their nature. They don't mean to do it, but you caught them on a bad day. Right? And you thought they were sweet and pure and singing in the choir and preaching in the pulpit and serving on the, on the, on the parking lot ministry and so sweet when you're going in and out of your car and then, you, and then they are late one morning on the way to work and you cut them off and you look over in their car and you don't have to know how to read lift to say, oh my God, what did he just say to me? Paul says, Paul said, this is going to happen but it doesn't change your relationship with Christ and your relationship with each other, we're still of one body. You, you can't, unfortunately, you can't pick your family. <laughs> and because folk do stuff in family, they hurt too. But you're still in the same, what? Family. Paul says, uh, in verse 30, and then we're going to jump on down. Paul says, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. In other words, this conflict he's talking about is, you, you, you get so caught up because you want to serve Christ and you want to be with Christ, but you got to stay in this three-dimensional world until he calls you home. That's the conflict, you know, we talked about last week. All right, now let's go down to chapter two uh, because I need to walk, walk you through this uh, before, you get, before we get too caught up uh, in what's coming, which is a high point, the penultimate part of this, 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 this little letter uh, to this church. So Paul says, um, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul's, his introduction is this. If there, be, if, there therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. So here's what Paul does. Uh, Paul uh, introduces this what's coming, this sort of exhortation to humility and unity, uh, by saying that uh, you all need to learn that we all need to get along. Uh, in a church body, we need to learn how to get along. You can have conflict without being in conflict. Sometimes your feeling, feelings are going to get hurt. But you got to move past that for the cause of Christ. Paul says, and he's really, I guess, sort of quoting uh, the prophet Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Right. I, I, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. You caught me on a bad day. And the real David showed up. Not, not elderware. You, you, you caught me on a day when I was David. Okay? On Sunday, you catch me, I'm elderware. You catch me on Tuesday, you might say, oh my God. <laughs> you turn that collar back around, bro. <laughs> Paul says, Paul says, Paul says, listen, and, and he, he's really doing it sort of, I love how Paul writes, because it's, it's the sort of the rhetorical tradition. He says, if there be any consolation in Christ, well, we know there's consolation in Christ, right? He's a great, what? Consolator. We know that. He says, um, uh, 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 think about the fact that God always comes along to help us. Now, the word comfort in this passage is the ancient Greek word paraklesis. Uh, and when we talk about it in terms of the Holy Spirit, you know the Holy Spirit is a paraclete. So um, if you can't remember paraclete, remember paralegal. One who helps the attorney get the case together 
for presentation in court. If you can't remember paralegal, remember parasol. Uh, something you hold up over yourself to protect you from the elements. If you can't remember paraclete, and you can't remember paralegal, and you can't remember parasol, then remember paramedic. The person who gets there first, make sure you are ready and prepared for the doctor to come in and help. So Paul says, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the paracletists. He said they are there to help us, and we ought to want to do that one for another. Paul says, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. Now, that's, Paul knows that there's fellowship of the Spirit. Every Christian knows that, that, that what it is to have fellowship of the Spirit. Your spirit connected to the Spirit of God, connected to my spirit, we ought to be able to get along 99.9% .9 of the time. And the other part of 1% that we can't get along, I'm just going to ignore you because I know you're crazy. <laughs> In the spirit. No, seriously. I'm not going to hold it against you for 20 years because you had a bad day. And I showed up in the middle of your bad day. Even at church. Right? I don't know what happened to you from the, from the entrance till you got down to the altar. Stuff happened. People looking at you crazy. You think they're looking at you. They look at you cross-eyed. You look at them cross-eyed. They're really not looking at you. They're looking past you. You think they're looking at you and you doing like this. Like what? No, they're not, they're not, they're not looking at you. You want a piece of me? No, I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm, look, I'm looking at her. I'm not looking at Look like you were looking at me the whole time. Paul says, listen. Paul says, here is the way you do this, Hopewell. Think about this now, Paul. This is this, y'all. Paul says, the way you interact in a setting like this with a lot of people come in and out of Hopewell every Sunday, every Wednesday. A lot of people. All them different, all different DNA, all different life, uh, battle, uh, life experiences. A lot of people come in, right? Paul says, here's the key. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Oh, my God. Paul says, you will get a lot further in a church setting if you don't make it always about you. If you can figure out somehow that if I esteem you higher than me and you esteem me higher than you, we will always be looking up at each other. Never down. Paul says, if you can just get that sort of way you deal with things, then when you get hurt in church, you will realize that they weren't doing it out of what does Paul call it? Vain glory. Selfish Motive. Now, notice he doesn't say ambition is bad, but selfish ambition. You're trying to big up yourself. You, you want to be up front, and you want to be called out, and you want to be recognized, and you want people to know who you are when you come in and hunt each other and say, Oh, there I go, there I go, there I go, that's Deacon Lawson. That's what you want. Paul says it's not going to work because we don't see each other that much. In this little brief window of time, we get when we're together, Rodney King, Prophet Dr. Rodney King, not Dr. King, but Rodney King, can't we all just get along? And Paul says, you'll do a lot better if you quit thinking that my motivation is like yours. Because you might be selfish, because you might be up to no good, you think I'm like that because you're like that. Guess what? Most people aren't like that. 
Paul said, I'm hurrying to, I'm hurrying to our text, but I had to set this up because you need to understand. Um, he says, his other thing is, Paul says, uh, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, in the Greek, that's interpreted, mind your own business. In the Greek. No, Paul says, why are you so focused in the assembly on other folks' business? He says, why don't you spend some time on your own things? Everybody's got to work out their own soul salvation with what? Fear and trembling. And if you quit coming in on Sundays trying to evaluate me, and if I can come in on Sundays and start trying to evaluate you and figure out your motive and your motivation, if I can just let you be you and you just let me be me, we'll all get along really, really well. In other words, if you mind your own business, I can mind mine. And I love you. I'm crazy about you. But I'm going to need you to just a minute. During this hour, two hours, we're together, right? Uh, I, I come up in, in church like you did, and I've been through church splits. And people are still mad about this stuff that happened 26 years ago, right? And, and, and it never goes away. And people leave church, and then they have nothing but bad to say about the church they left. And then the folk who, who are left in the church have nothing but bad to say about folk who left. Paul says, this is not right. Paul says, you all are not acting like the body of Christ. You're acting like these people in the street. This ought not be. Now, Paul says, okay, since I can't get you to understand it on a parallel uh, plane, Paul says, let me kick this up to the next level. And now we come to the high watermark of the epistle. We come to the penultimate part of the epistle in verses 5 through 11. It's one thought in the Greek. One marvelous, fantastic thought in the Greek. But we have to unpack it verse by verse. But I want to read to you all as one thought. And then let's see if we can back up and, 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 and parse it a little bit. So I'm going to read to you in one throw, 5 through 11. Bear with me while I read this whole, this whole six verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you see why I need the rope. Because you read that, at least when I read that, boy, I have to grab hold of something so that I don't fly off like a kite. Let me see if I can unpack this. Many people regard Philippians 2, 5 through 11 as a hymn 
of the early church that Paul merely incorporated into his writing. Um, it seems to me when I look at the parallelism between how Paul writes everything else, I don't necessarily agree that it's something he pulled out. But what I think Paul is doing here with the church at Philippi and with us is what Bishop was telling us to do next last week. Paul's trying to get us to stretch. He's trying to get us to stretch our minds around a concept that had never been presented in the world. No other being, entity, person had ever been presented in the world as God incarnate. Ever. And Paul says, that's going to cause you to stretch your mind. Now, Paul says, now, what we have, though, when we look at Jesus, is we have experiential evidence and evidentiary evidence about how he dealt because people reported on what he said and did, right? We know what people who are eyewitnesses said because they told us. So watch what Paul says. Paul says, he because Paul says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply the lesson I'm trying to teach you before I teach it. And he said, the point of my lesson is chapter 5, verse 1, on chapter 2, verse 5. He said, the point of my lesson is let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's a high calling. Tell your neighbor that's a high calling. Let this mind be. Paul will, and, and, and what's coming in wonderful detail, describe for us the wonderful mind of Jesus Christ. But before he describes the mind of Jesus, he selects, <laughs> he, he selects those that he wants to tell us about for our purposes. Now watch this. This, this quality of having this mind subjugated to God is something he's trying to teach the Philippians to do. It is not that I am to be subjected or subjugated to Deacon Lawson. It's that I'm to be subject and subjugated to God, and because of that, I'm always giving Deacon Lawson the benefit of every doubt. I'm always going to assume that Deacon Brown has my best interest at heart when we're dealing with each other in church. Even if he doesn't, I am going to assume that he does. And even when I know that I can't believe what he just said to me in my personal face, I'm going to still assume the best about him. Let me tell you something. That's hard when you deal with people who celebrate the month of February. That's, that's hard. Uh, you'll catch it on the way around 285. That's difficult. Because they act up. Mostly every Sunday. Watch this. This, this, this uh, <laughs> Christological passage in the, New in the New Testament, in my mind, is the greatest Christological passage ever. That is the Christology, the, 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 the teaching or the theory, the philosophy of Christ as God, God as Christ, uh, Christ incarnate. This is powerful stuff. I, Paul wrote this in prison. Uh, 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 ministers Warnsby's. He wrote this in prison, chained to somebody. He is in prison. They tell you when to eat, when to sleep, when when to get up. When, he's in people. Nobody in the prison likes him. Nobody in the prison is like him. They want him dead. And Paul, in the midst of that, writes this. Y'all better grab this rope. I'm telling you, he's not sitting in his study with a glass of water. Uh, uh, enjoying himself and making notes and thinking about what happened in that, in that great 
great, 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 great thing last Monday night. He's not thinking about that. He's not relaxed when Georgia won. He's not thinking about that. Paul is in prison. He's uncomfortable. Nobody's there to serve him. And Paul says two things. I'm going to think about y'all. And I'm going to think about the Lord. I'm in distress. I'm in misery. I'm in mess, literally. But you know what's on my mind? I love you guys. And I know Christ loves us too. And Paul says, and by the way, I'm not perfect. And you're not perfect. But he is perfect. And Paul says, I'm not going to apologize. And you shouldn't apologize because you're not perfect. Because you're a human being. Paul said, because it's okay. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. To allow you to be human and still get in heaven. Amen. Did you know that? Amen. You are allowed to be human and still you can get in heaven. And don't let anybody make you feel like you're coming up short because you're human. Because I got news for you. They're coming up short too. Amen. It's the blood of Jesus Amen. that makes any of us worthy. Amen. Not the fact that you've never missed a Sunday. Sunday school, choir rehearsal, usher board meeting, bishop birthday, my birthday, anybody else's birthday, that you've been here every time the door opened and went to every auxiliary, you've gone to every, you've volunteered, you've given money, it doesn't matter if you don't have the blood of Jesus applied. Paul says, watch this, he says, uh, and I know this, let this mind be in you, it's easy to read that description and admire it from a distance, but hey y'all, God wants us to be awed by it. Oh, he doesn't want us to read, oh, let this mind be on Christ Jesus. No, the awe and wonder of what Jesus did that he would condescend to man. When there's nothing good in us that would make him want to do that. If you added all your days together, it wouldn't justify what he did. All of your good days. Let's just blot out your bad ones. All your good days combined wouldn't make it enough. But the love of Jesus Christ, oh my God. And you think with all that going for me that I'm going to let you get on the only nerve I got left for two hours on Sunday? What? You have lost your complete mind. As the old folks used to say, I ain't studying you. I don't mean that to be mean. But I got a lot on my mind. And I'm trying to get somewhere higher. And you just keep acting up all you want to. And I'm going to smile and think you crazy. And keep on keeping on. Watch this. This, 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 this verse... Uh, 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 six, uh, the A calls Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This this form uh, is is from an ancient Greek word. It's really a verb. It's hyperchain, H-U-P-A-R-C-H-E-I-N, which describes that that which a man in his very essence and cannot be changed. It describes the part of man which in any circumstance remains the same. For example, 
Water is made of two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Water is always H2O, right? Let's watch this form. Now, some of you all have been to uh, events like I have where they have ice sculptures. Have these beautiful ice sculptures carved. Some look like a dove, some look like two people together, something. And, but, it's, but it's ice, and it, and it slowly melts, you can see it. But it's when you see it, that's a sculpture, it's beautiful. It's made out of ice, but ice is made out of water. The fact that the sculpture takes that form doesn't change the fact that that's water. Being in the form of ice sculpture doesn't change the fact that it's H2O. When you see it, it looks like a dove carved out of ice. But you and I both know it's water. Jesus being in the form of God, when you saw him, he looked to you like a man because that's the form he took. But it didn't change the fact he was still God. Every day, all day. On the mountain praying, he was God. On the mountain praying, he was also man. When he started down the mountain walking, he's a man. When he saw his disciples in the middle of the sea about to drown in the same form, he went from man to God-man and walked on the water he made. Same God walking on the water is the one in the mountain praying to God. It's a mind-blowing supernatural thing, but once you wrap your head around it, then you understand why the sanctified people acted like they did. It had nothing to do with the music and the tambourine. It had to do with they finally realized that's the God that loves me. I'm so glad I'm in the sanctified church. I don't know what to do. Jesus never gave up any of his deity. I know some people teach that. These people who come by on Saturday mornings, wake you up before you're ready. Um, <laughs> y'all gonna get told some stuff. Uh, he never gave up any part of his deity to be a man. But here's what he did. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Paul says, he, he wasn't striving he didn't become a man to prove he was God. Uh, Jesus doesn't have to prove anything. He just doesn't. Right? You, you, people are debating and philosophizing about who Jesus But he didn't have to prove anything. That was all for you. He wasn't doing it for himself. He did that for you. So you would have an example. And because of that, you can't really find any chinks in Jesus' armor. You have to accept him as he is because of what he could have done and chose not to do. Watch this now. Uh, Paul says in verse 6, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Uh, he, he, had to, he had to let you see that you had the right to be in the presence of God incarnate without being consumed. Because in the Old Testament, if you looked on God, you couldn't live. Jesus came God incarnate, you looked on God, and because you looked on God, you lived. Amen. You see the difference between being under a penalty system and being under a love system. All right? Moses says, let me see your glory. God said, boy, 
you, you, uh-uh, you're not, you're not there, son. You got an anger problem. You got a confidence problem. You're leading people who don't listen to you. You can't see my glory. You can't handle that. You explode. He said, but I let you see the backside. I let you get just a glimpse. But there's coming a time where I'm going to show you my glory in the presence of my son. Let's, 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 let's go a little further. Verse 7. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now, now here's what he did. Um, the more common and well-known translation of this is that Jesus, when he came to earth, emptied himself. Kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. It's a Greek term that his incarnation, Jesus' incarnation was effectively his self-emptying. He condescended to do something he didn't have to do because he loved you that much. Right, remember now. And he didn't just take on the form of a man because he could have been a king and still been a man, right? He took on the form of a slave. That's what, that's what Paul says. Uh, took on the form, that word servant in the Greek, that's slave. He became a slave. Y'all watch this show uh, sometimes uh, on TV called Undercover Boss <laughs> where the people who own some big company will change their, their hair and change their looks and go work in the place to see how the people on the line really feel about the company and in large part how they feel about them, the CEO. The people don't know when they are working around this person that that's actually the boss. At the end of the show, the boss reveals himself to the people and those who have been really doing their job well and love the company and want to see the company improve, he then says to them, you know what, I'm going to give you $50,000. I'm going to pay for your tuition for your, and I know your child's been sick. And he does all this stuff. Now the knuckleheads in the crowd, he says, oh, I heard what you said when you said it. And you find you something else to do. Jesus shows up on the scene and, 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 and he decides I'm going to be in the form of a slave because I need these people to understand anybody can get in. He goes as the undercover boss, but every time he tries to do that, something happens where somebody says, how did you do that? Right? How did you do that? Till we get to the place of Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus said, let me ask y'all a question. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They said, now some people say you're a prophet Elijah. Some say you're John the baptizer. Sometimes, you know, so they're all talking and Peter said, oh, oh, oh. Y'all remember Horshack from America? Oh, Peter said, thou art the son of God. The Christ. Jesus says, oh my goodness, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. This thing's working. I never told you that, Peter. My father revealed that to you. And then Jesus goes on there and says, me and my father are one. Philip says, how can we know that? We've never seen God. Jesus said, well, I'm going to give you a hint. It's an open book test. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And that's when that day, if that had been me, I'd have taken off running. Because that's mind-blowing stuff. 
All right, let's go. We got, we got a little bit, little, little bit more to come. So now watch now. The, 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 then verse 8, he says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Underline that word in your Bible because I know some of y'all struggle with that. Oh. Trying to be humble because you got a college degree and more money in the bank than you need to spend this month. And you got two cars instead of one. And you got an indoor bathroom because you didn't grow up like that. And you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want it. And you got plenty of food in the pantry. And clothes in your clothes you will never wear. And you still got them. And you won't give them away. And, and, and how dare people look at you a certain way. And when you walk in the store and people don't serve you right away, you get real hard and high-minded because they don't know who you are. And when you walk around and you walk in and, and to a business meeting and the folk in the meeting don't realize that you're the vice president in charge of nothing. And when you do all that, and it's hard for you all to be humble. The old folks called it humble. He was humble. He humbled himself and became obedient. He was humble, born in a stable, not a palace. Humble, born rich, born poor, not rich. Humble, born as a child, not a full-grown man. Humble, had to be subjected to an earthly father and an earthly mother. Humble. Had to, be, had to be obedient even unto death. Jesus was humble. How dare you be haughty and high-minded? How dare you? Even if you get some exalted position. How dare you think that I got a genuflect in your presence? Who in the world do you think you are? You're not Jesus. My mother would say, who you think you're talking to? <laughs> when I would have those, you know, those moments of temporary insanity. <laughs> Listen, you guys. This humility, this being humble, doesn't mean anybody gets to walk on you. They don't, they don't have to walk up your front and down your back. Oh, no, ma'am. Oh, no, sir. That's not what humility is about. Humility is, is about I could, take, I could take retribution. I decide not to. I could get you back. I know how you treated me when we were working on the line together. Now I'm the supervisor. I'm going to call you in first thing Monday morning. Soon as I get promoted. <laughs> but you choose not to do that. All of us have been in positions where we can hire and fire people, but we don't use a position to hire and fire people. That's not what I'm trying to make the organization better. I'm trying to make you better. We all grew up together. Stop lording your position over people. Preachers and teachers and deacons and ushers and people in the, in the pew ministry, stop lowering your position over people. Quit going to the family reunion and acting like you're superior to drunk Uncle Joe because he's drunk Uncle Joe and you've been saved three weeks. <laughs> Humility. Let's, 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 let's finish this. Let's finish this. Let's finish this. Uh, uh. That, that, that death of the cross is the most ignoble kind of death you can die. It was so awful that Roman citizens could never be uh, killed by crucifixion. People at Philippi could not have gone through crucifixion because they were Roman citizens. But Jesus suffered the worst kind of death so that you would understand what he was doing for you. And more than that, if you really believed he did it for you, you would also have to believe he did it for your neighbor. And if you believe he did it for your neighbor, you wouldn't treat your neighbor like they're not anything. Amen. 
you will stop being a Christian bully. Right? Bullying is not just prevalent in school, it's in the church. Right? But you don't have to be a Christian bully. You can still get your point across. You can still say what you think and believe without being a bully. And without being somebody who people think, when you come in the room, they got to, oh my God. I mean, let me be careful, brother. Pastor Love, don't play that. Come on. Watch this, and we're almost done. We got exactly one minute. Y'all held me up all morning. Wherefore, God highly exalted. Who's doing the exalting? Who's doing the exalting? Not the pastor at Philippi. Not the head of the deacon ministry at Philippi. Who is going to exalt you in due season? God does the exalting. Quit trying to make other people exalt you. Quit trying to quit getting mad because people don't recognize your gifts and talents and the, and the marvelous stuff you can do. It's okay. Let God do it. I promise you it'll last longer. And it'll be sweeter if you let God do it. <clears throat> that the name of Jesus, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess <laughs> that Jesus is Lord. And Lord is not just that he's the Lord Jesus Christ, that we say they're going to acknowledge that the whole universe, according to Colossians, is held together by Jesus. But what we got to get with, what we got to deal with, what we have to understand is because of what Jesus did for us and because of who he is and, and, and the marvelous, fantastic plan of salvation that he put together for us, that we then spend our time loving on one another. Let me tell you something. I am not perfect. You are not perfect, but we serve a perfect Savior. Amen. And because of that, we are interconnected. Can you look over my faults just a minute and see that I'm striving like you are to be transformed, what, into the image of Christ? We can love each other in a way that despite the fact that sometimes you get on the last nerve I got, I still love you and you can still love me. Let's pattern ourselves after Christ, not after each other. Amen. See you next week.